the anointing of the word of God hath come. Because an anointed word is very powerful. It's very directing. It's very uplifting. It's very edifying. And everything that we do in the body of Christ is should edify one another. And we should be so thankful for that. So I'm going to start out some, with some very basic uh, uh, instruction today. And it's something that you have all heard. And if you're, if you're going to be good to yourselves... If you're going to be good to yourselves, uh, then it should be uh, looked at in yourselves as a time, a great chance to begin to study the Word of God. So I'm going to start with this scripture, and we all know it, and it has been said many, many, many times. And it's in Revelation, the 19th chapter. And I'm going to start with verse 9 but I don't want you to get wrapped up in your mind about verse 9. And he said unto me, now John is talking to the angel of the Lord. Correct? That's who John's conversing with here. And he said unto me, the angel of the Lord said, so what does the angel come with? He comes with the word of God to direct the mind. This becomes very important as we journey on over the next several weeks. We're going to see how important it is that we begin to understand why God uses his angels and how he directs them and the purpose that he has in directing those angels to us. And that when we can begin to hear the word of God from the angel, our lives are going to be changed forever because our mind will be changed forever. And he said unto me, Right, blessed are they which are called into the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said unto me, these are the true sayings of God. So now we'd have to back up and we'd have to go and look at everything that the angel told John. But one thing I want to tell you that is for sure is blessed are they which are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. That is you. That is you. But in order to make preparation For the marriage supper of the Lamb, there is the story of God that works in you to prepare you for such a time as this. Where else have you heard that? Didn't Mordecai, isn't it in the story of Esther that Mordecai told Esther that for such a time as this, she was being called forth? Listen, these things are written for a great purpose. They're not just in the story of God for this time or that time or by chance. They are written purposefully and they are delivered by the angels of God into the heart so the heart can begin to be constructed according to the will of God. There's not one word of God that isn't purposed in the Father. And I've said that many times before. So it can be said that there is no word that comes out of the mouth of God that is not to be fulfilled. That is the true saying of God. Let me go on. And I fell at his feet to worship him. And the angel of the Lord said to me, See, you do it not. I am thy fellow servant and of your brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. So what do they have? They have the testimony of Jesus. So let's take just a moment. And let's rehearse something to ourselves. 
Because Adam, Adam got a word from God. What was the word that Adam got from God? Okay, be fruitful. And say that again, Connie. Actually, just go to the chapter 1 of the book of Genesis. And I believe it starts with verse 25 or 26. I believe. Okay, keep going. Okay, God blessed them and said, Okay, be fruitful. What does that mean? Go plant apples, orchards, and orange groves, and is that what that means? No, he's talking to them. He's bringing to Adam and putting in Adam the word of truth. Okay, go ahead, Connie. Multiply the word of God. Multiply the word of God. What else? Replenish the earth. Because in the story of Adam, in, in this story, was the earth defiled? No. No. It was the creation of God. It was good. Didn't God say, everything that I have made is good? Everything. So in the story of Adam, it's good. And if I am fruitful and I multiply the Word of God that He has, that he has put in me to be fruitful with, and I use it to replenish the earth, is that all good? And God said, this is good. This is good. What else did He tell him, Connie? Subdue it. What does it mean to subdue? Have dominion over. What were we talking about earlier before we uh, came online this morning? Giving our thoughts to God and not giving our thoughts to the things of the earth. So, I have a word from God that will multiply and replenish everything for me. Right? Even the earth. It will replenish it. And it will allow me to subdue and have dominion over it. Wow. So, you said this, this morning, Ellen, that if God said it, then what about that what, that God said? That it's going to be it's the possibility of it. Right? It's not impossible. So if I keep my mind if I keep my mind in the things of God, am I going to have dominion over the earth and subdue it? For the purpose of God. Is that what's going to happen? The answer to that is yes. That's what's going to happen. What else did he say? So every thought, right? So have dominion over fish. Well, let's just list it this way. Fish. What else? Fowl, 
every living thing. Oh my gosh. So every thought. This is equal to every thought. Correct? Anybody not understand that? No question? Okay. So every thought. So in, isn't it in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 5, it says this. I'm going to start with verse 2. So I beg of you that I may not be bold when I am present that comp with that, excuse me, I beseech you that I may not be bold when I am present with that confidence wherewith I think to be bold against some, which think of us as we walked according to the flesh. So, we are not walking in Christ, we are not walking according to the flesh. So when we began to talk about Adam, because who hath come to bring forth the new creature? Jesus Christ. So now when we know who Jesus Christ is, don't we? Who is Jesus? He's the Son of God. He's the Word of God. He's our Savior. Is He God? Say it. He is God. So God hath come to reign in our thoughts so that every word that He has spoke from the beginning in from Adam all the way through the genealogies of Jesus Christ up to you. All the way up to you. Every word that God has said, every dispensation, does anyone not know what a dispensation is? Tell me what the word means. Okay? Age is a great description of the word dispensation. It's... Just like an age, right? <laughs> but it, it, there's a, a, a greater definition to it. Because in every dispensation or in every age, God raises up a Jesus, a Christ, to speak a specific word to change the mind of man. To redirect the mind of man back to God. Everybody follow that? So we have in, we can call Adam a dispensation, an age. And God begins to set forth his word in Adam to direct the mind of Adam to Jesus Christ. Because all prophecy, this is the part we didn't read. I'm going to go back here to uh, Revelation 19. You guys don't need to turn. I'll turn and read it. And I hope nobody misses for the next two and a half years. I'm just kidding. Listen to this. I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. Now listen. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So the testimony of Jesus is what, Frankie? What does that mean? What does it mean? The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. What does that mean to you? What, no, you, you're missing something there. Okay, someone else. What does it mean when God says 
that the testimony of Jesus Christ is the spirit of prophecy. Or that the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus Christ. What, what is God's, what's being said here? Okay. All right. So that we know that every time God opens up his mouth to speak and to direct the mind of man, he does it through prophecy to put in man what? The testimony of Jesus Christ. So was God putting into Adam the testimony of Jesus Christ? And the answer is yes. How could Adam be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth and be good? Right? Call it good. Subdue and have dominion over every thought and not have the testimony of Jesus Christ. It's not possible. The thing that Adam didn't understand in it because he didn't fellowship and communicate the Word of God effectively with God, what God gave him. Did God say that Adam could eat of every tree of the garden? He did. Just like God has told you, you can eat of every elder and every deacon in the body of Christ. And if you would do so, what would begin to happen for you? Oh, all of a sudden, the revelation of the testimony of Jesus Christ, because the spirit of prophecy would be working in your mind, that revelation of that mind would be known in you. Isn't that amazing? So even from the moment that God began to set it in order in the book of Genesis, and we can write that right here, Right? From that moment, God began to set in order the prescription of who we are in Christ Jesus. And He ordained it in the elders for it to be spoken. That's an amazing thing. Now, a, a month ago almost now, I preached a sermon that was uh, God Before Us or something like that. Wasn't that the title of it? Something similar to that? In that sermon, I began to introduce you to the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. How many of you went and read the books of Ezra and Nehemiah? So Ezra and Nehemiah, they had this heart because the, the house of God was what, what happened to the house of God? It was destroyed. How did it get destroyed? The children of Israel forgot God. That's how the church, or the, excuse me, that's how the house of God got destroyed because the children of Israel forgot the Word of God. And when you forget the Word of God, your mind now lays prey to every wicked king in the earth in which there are many. There are many. So if I forget the Word of God, then what's going to happen to the house of God that I am? Is there a king 
in the earth called Nebuchadnezzar that can come in and destroy the house of God and take every word of God that is said in the house, whether it be gold, silver, whether it be uh, uh, lavers of brass, everything that's necessary in the house of God to worship the Lord, ordained and set there by God through the priesthood, everything in it, can it not be stolen and taken? Well, that's what King Nebuchadnezzar did to the children of Israel. He took it all. He left nothing. And then, they were, he wasn't, it wasn't good enough to take everything in it. And there's a lot of gold and silver in there, John. There was a lot of jewels and riches. I mean, that if you go and you read about uh, the house that Solomon built by the, by the plan of David, his father, and how everything in it was overlaid with fine gold, and how everything that was set in the house for the worship of God, how they built it, the inlaying of emeralds and diamonds and rubies and on and on, sapphires and, I mean, you can read it in the Bible, and that everything that is named in it had purpose in the house of God for the ordination for you to learn how to worship before a God that is holy and righteous and without sin. Every part of it. And when we forget in the forgetting comes the destruction. And that destruction can cost us greatly. So these things, these things are truthful. Okay, Connie, go back to Genesis 1 and, and, and begin to read there again. I guess for the sake, and God said, so now, is God still speaking? So every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God right, is the bread that we need to live by. Correct? Okay. Very true, huh, Ted? And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed, which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree in the which is the fruit of a tree, yielding seed. To you it shall be for meat. Now, he's describing all the things of the earth, right? And all of it is necessary for me to live. Now, when we take the mind of flesh in it, we have an imagination that errs from the truth. But when we see that it is the Word of God that He is describing for Adam to live by, all of a sudden we begin to have our, we begin to have our being and our moving and our life by the Spirit of the Lord and not by the mind of the flesh. And so it takes God to put us in the place where the Word of God becomes spirit and it becomes life to us. Thus, it takes the salvation of Jesus Christ by the Holy Ghost. But when it comes to you and you go back and you begin to read the story of Adam once again, and now Adam begins to put everything in the earth as that which is necessary for you to have life, all of a sudden it changes. 
So was Adam being limited in what God said? Or was Adam, Adam being given life in what God said? He was being given life. Let's go on. And to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to everything that creeps upon the earth, where, wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for meat, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Okay, I forgot a word up here. It was very good. What's the difference between good and very good? <laughs> Let's just say it this way. Is that because God said that it was so, that made it very good. And what God was telling Adam is that, Adam, what I have just set forth for you is not impossible. This is life. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good, and the evening and the morning were the sixth day. And the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. So, all of a sudden, God speaks, get, creates Adam, creates him male and female, sets him in a place where everything is very good. Correct? And in all of that, it is prophecy. And it is the testimony of Jesus Christ. All of it. All of it. It's the testimony of Jesus, Frankie. All of it. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all of his work, which he had made. Now, God blessed the seventh day, sanctified it, because that in it he had rested from all of his work, which God created and made. So, on the seventh day, what was complete? The testimony of Jesus Christ was finished. It was complete. It was done, Frankie. It was done. Well, Jesus hasn't been crucified yet. No. That's not true. It was done. On the seventh day, in believing the Word of God, in believing in Jesus Christ, what can you do? Can you not enter in through the veil? Enter into the mind of God and begin to see how God made it all in Jesus Christ. That's what God told Adam. That's what God is saying to Adam. It's what God is saying to That's why it's in the Bible. These things are, when we talk about the, when we talk about the spirit of prophecy, John, there's a lot of that that we don't understand, isn't there? There's a lot of things that we haven't allowed that word that God has said to begin to put in the imagination of our mind 
that begins to bring forth the descriptions of how it is in the mind of God rather than the perceptions of our own mind, which is flesh. Now, we're not going to have time to get to the part of the story today where the mind of the flesh is born because I don't want to get there today. I want you to begin to live in the story of God where you begin to see that when God spoke the Word, He spoke the possibilities of everything that is in Christ Jesus. And I mean everything. And there's not one book in the what we call the Bible. There's 66 books in the Bible. And actually there's more than that if we let God open our mind to the Word of Heaven. There's more than 66 books. Many, many, many more. In fact, John in his Gospel, the last chapter, the last verse of the Gospel of John says the world could not contain the books that could be written of all the works of Jesus Christ. But in the prophecy of Jesus Christ, where the testimony of Jesus reigns forever and ever, all possibilities in God are made known in the believer. Every one of them. To where you come behind lacking in no gift when it comes to the body of Christ. God has said it. Not only did God say it, God has ordained it. And we could, well, let's just go to, uh, I'm going to go to uh, Hebrews 6. I'm going to go to Hebrews, the sixth chapter, and I'm going to start with verse 12. That you be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So what does it take to inherit the promises of God? Faith. How about, how about slothfulness? Doesn't work. Imagine that, John. It doesn't work. But who through patience and or faith and patience inherit the promises. For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself. So, because there was no one greater than God, God swore by himself that the possibilities of every word that he has spoken in the testimony of Jesus Christ was true. Saying, surely blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thee. Oh, is that not what he said to Adam in the beginning? So, then he said it again to Noah. Then he said it again to Abraham. We're going to capture it all. We're going to go into the ages of God. We're going to capture this stuff in our minds and in our hearts because, listen folks, if we don't do it when we assemble together, I know that we won't do it when we're alone. I know. Because, listen, we need to have the mind directed into the things of God. I know that. And we're going to direct the mind. That's why I'm so uh, stirred up 
about these things is because God is directing the mind to begin to inherit the promises that He has set forth in the Scripture. And if we have a heart towards God, are those promises not going to come to pass? Are they not going to be fulfilled in us? I'm going to tell you they are. Saying, surely I will bless, surely blessing I will bless thee, multiplying I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, Abraham obtained the promise. What did Abraham do? He obtained the promise. Ted was given that prophecy a long time ago. We have all been given the prophecy of sonship. Now there are many things in it that we have not understood. But aren't you glad that God has not forgot us? Does it make you happy? It makes me happy, John. It makes me happy. For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. Wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of the promise, okay, who are you? You are heirs of the promise. And so God <laughs> says, okay, men do it this way. But because you are the heirs of the promise, I'm going to do it this way for you. Wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of the of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath. What's immutabil immutability mean, Frankie? Do you know? What does it mean? Immutability. It means that it's unchangeable. It cannot be changed. That by two unchangeable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope that is set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil. Where? Oh. oh. John, have you ever entered in the veil? Have you ever gone through that veil and entered in to see what's there for you? Do you know why Jesus was crucified? So you can go in. Because when Jesus was crucified, the veil that separated man from the holiest of holies, what happened to it? It was rent to You know what? We know those things. Well, I've read that in the Bible all my life. Okay, you've read in the Bible that when Jesus Christ was crucified, that curtain was rent in two. And the reason it was rent in two was so that He could pass through it first. And all those who believe in Jesus Christ could follow Him afterwards. Every one of us. 
I was listening to another preacher preach because my uh, some people I know have been listening to all of his uh, series on the second coming of Jesus Christ. God bless him. So I thought, well, I'm, I'm going to go listen to what this guy has to say. Listen, there is a lot of teaching and preaching on the second coming of Jesus Christ. I will tell you this. It is not after the Spirit. It is after the flesh. And I say that knowing. Because if they had experienced the Gospel of Jesus Christ and went through the veil, they would not speak in the manner of men. They would speak after the testimony of Jesus Christ and they would prophesy to you the hope that lays before you. Because that hope is what God confirms with an oath that it is not impossible. It is His way of life that He has ordained for us all. Let me finish. Which hope we have is an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters into that within the veil, whether the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus, made and high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Isn't it amazing how whenever you read the Word of God, it's always introducing you to something greater. Always. I, I, I know the first time I was, when I was being raised up in the teachings of the Word of God, studying like a beast, man. No, I shouldn't say that. Studying like a son of God. <laughs> and, and you keep, your mind keeps moving forward. Oh, that's so, that is awesome. That is awesome. Then you read something in the scripture, Melchizedek. And all of a sudden your mind goes, Where, who's that guy? And it, the, it just said he's a type and shadow of who? Jesus Christ. And when the first time I read it, I was like, well, I have never heard of this guy before, and he's in the Bible. My Bible teachers, where have they been? I, I don't want you to say the same thing. The possibilities that God is going to begin to set before us is going to remove the ignorance. Because God only winks at our ignorance how many times? Once. Once. After that, you are judged by every word that proceeds out of his mouth. Wow. So it is time, folks. It is time. How many of you are believing it is time? Whose time is it, Frankie? It's your time. It's your time. It's your time to know who you are in the testimony of Jesus Christ and what He hath come to shed forth in your life and to create in you the mind of Christ which shows you not only the Word of God, John, but it begins to show you the angel that you are in the mind of the Lord. Is that not awesome? It is awesome. That's the hope and the patience 
that we have working for us today. And I'm so thankful that God hath come at this moment to anoint the Word of God once again and give it life that we might have life in it as well. Can you say amen? I got one more scripture I want to read to you. Back to Genesis chapter 2. These are the generations of the heavens and of the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. So these are what now? Everything that we heard this morning, what are they? Generations. Generations. So is it speaking about life then? It's speaking about life. They're generations. And every plant of the field before it was in the earth and every herb of the field before it grew. Did you hear that? Before it was in the earth and before it grew, Frankie. So where did it exist before? In the mind of God. In Jesus Christ. Because then as it's heard, as it's seen, as it's known, what testimony is coming forth in it? The testimony of Jesus Christ. For the Lord God had not caused it to reign upon the earth, and there was not a man to till the ground. So who's going to come till the ground? Jesus Christ. But there went up a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Breathed into him the breath of life. What is that? Yeah, It's the spirit of life. It's the Word of God. So God breathed into Adam, into man, the Word of God. And man became a living soul. You know why you have a soul? Because God breathed the Word of God into you. Because God breathed the Word of God into you. You became a living soul. breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Now, man has purpose. Did you hear me? Man has purpose. Because in him was breathed the word of life. Man has purpose. And that purpose is in each and every one of us. And God is after. that. That's His need. God's need is to see that purpose raised up in you to fulfill its place in the body of Christ. That's awesome. So I hope these things have ministered to you today. We're going to continue down this line for until I'm done saying it or until God's 